0: The wind, digging the Stooges, I got it right before that. Iron and Wine off Eden. Dave Menzo, top of the mountain. Local guy. Dead Kennedys, California Uber Alice. And lots of John Spencer Blues explosion before that. Thanks again, guys, for coming into the studio today. And Bloodshot Bill, who will be all on the bill alongside Danny and the Darlene's this very night at The Blind Pig. Stick around for Living Writers coming up next with T. Retzel. T. Hetzel. (laughs) See, Liz? Told you I was going to say it wrong. Watch on this heart of mine, I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the pilot that because you're mine. I walk. I find myself alone when each day's through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line.
1: Good afternoon. You've got living writers. I'm T Hetzel and today I'm so 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 thrilled to have in the studio Jean Valentine. Um, We're taping the show. It's February 12th, 2015. And Jean has just flown in from West Texas en route back to New York City. Um, We've got Stephanie engineering behind the class.
2: (laughs) And Jean, welcome. Thanks Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
1: Even in even in this freezing winds that we <laughs> that were battering us as we we <laughs> strode towards the station.
2: Nice <laughs> to change from Texas. <laughs> it,
1: does. it does. And then by the time you ba- get back to New York City, you'll be like, "Oh, this isn't so cold right. over here." This is isn't so bad. Oh <laughs> um, uh, Jean, we've got um, uh, from Copper Canyon Press, 2010, "Break the Glass," your uh, a, a, a book of poems. We also have on the table um, new and collected poems, 1965 to, through 2003, "Door in the Mountain," and you have a, a new collection coming out with Copper Canyon Press in maybe this May. Yes, we're hoping. And what do mm-hmm. you, do is what's the title of that one going to be? It's called "Shirt in Heaven." Well, then maybe we'll talk again in May, shall we? Oh, I'd love that. that with you. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we won't worry about, yeah, we're getting everything in today. Before we go any further, I'll read um, a short bio from your website, Jean. I've got to say, I love the photos on the website, how you have um, two pictures um, one from you in 2002 and one from you, uh, uh, of you from 1972.
2: That's a long time.
1: <laughs> and, and you have also a wonderful picture of a typewriter to start. Oh, I so. know.
2: I still use a typewriter. <laughs> do you? What kind yeah. of typewriter do you use? Jean? Oh, God knows. It's an old Italian one. What are they called? Is it Olivetti? Olivetti. Oh, I have a little Olivetti portable. Do you have one? I do,
1: too. Oh, wow. Yes,
2: my, my friend um, Phoebe gave it to me. <laughs> Aren't
1: they great? They are. Oh. It's, it's the best for, I think... Start even starting
2: poems. Do you find that? Oh yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, and then I type them up to see. I think they look better than they do in my scratchy handwriting. You know. I love putting them on, on the typewriter. Do you start with the hand, the the scratchy I start by hand, handwriting. Handwriting? yeah. I start um, by hand. But you, then I love to type them up. They look so much nicer. Yes, like the curves of the letters. Yeah. Right? Yeah, beautiful.
1: It gives them so, a different type of voice almost. Yeah. Yeah. It? Do you use, um? do you have sort of favorite, um? do you
2: use like yellow pads or like unlined paper? Or I what? love yellow pads. Yeah. When I got to Marfa, it's the place I've just been where they uh, do everything for you and one of the things they do for you that you see first is you walk in and on the desk there's a Yellow pad (laughs) and probably three pencils or something. (laughs) Wow. So just in case, right? Just in (laughs) case (laughs) you get an
1: idea. (laughs) Well, it's true. It's bad as a writer to be caught short without one of your, right? And it does happen. And that's the worst. Yeah. I don't know. Because some of those things, some of the ideas are so fleeting, even if they feel so strong,
2: aren't they, Jean? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You have to have pen and paper around. <laughs> I do
1: and yellow pad is your your, pad. your your one of your tools of choice.
2: Oh, I adore them. And do you?
1: I I do. Also. Um, uh, well, let's see. I was going to say, even the small mol, mm-hmm. moleskin. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I love little moleskin little books. Because they come in so many oh, sizes. I know. I know. They're so comforting. They they are. <laughs> I used to think they were too precious to write in. So I would just sort of carry it around. <laughs> and then they're too beautiful. Yes, <laughs> yes. But then as great. For human <laughs> ends, yeah, true. Except for Hemingway. <laughs> Right. But anyway, but you, you, you dog ear them a bit, beat them up a bit, and then you can start writing in them, right? Right. But, but right. Jean, before I, I keep chatting with you here, I'll read the bio and then we'll go from there, <laughs> okay. shall we? Jean Valentine was born in Chicago, earned her B.A. from Radcliffe College, and has lived most of her life in New York City. She won the Yale Younger Poets Award for her first book, Dream Barker, in 1965. Her 12th book of poetry is Break the Glass, published by Copper Canyon Press in 2010. Door in the Mountain, New and Collected, Poems 1965 through 2003, was the winner of the 2004 National Book Award for Poetry. Jean was the state poet of New York for two years, starting in the spring of 2008. She received the 2009 Wallace Stevens Award from the Academy of American Poets. And many awards, actually. And in 2014, she was given an award for Exceptional Accomplishment in Literature from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Jean has taught at Sarah Lawrence College, the Graduate Writing Program of New York University, Columbia University, and the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan. And today, you're visiting the University of Michigan. Yes.
2: <laughs> so yeah.
1: so you'll be here teaching students and meeting with writers and yeah. poets. And... I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so... it's I've, I'm so glad you're here. I've really been looking forward to this. Oh, thank you, um, Thank you. <laughs> and Jean, so from... from um, could we think about a little bit about your story, your writing story? Like sure. what the way um, writing poems has been... Um a constant in your life When mm-hmm. when did you when did you start finding poems and and writing short pieces?
2: Well, I think I was lucky to be born into the family I was because my mother uh read nursery rhymes to us when we were little kids, and it was very it was very unforgettable to me and it was one of the moments that we shared with her because we were uh we were doing our lives, and she was doing hers, but then we'd get together, and she'd read us, you know, at the end of the day, she'd read us uh, from nursery rhymes, and I'll never forget it. And I also had an older sister who loved poetry, and so she would say, "Uh, it's pronounced Yeats, Jean, not (laughs) Yeats, but she was mostly telling me there was such a poet as Yeats, and... Also other poets that she already loved because she was that much older. And so that was a great, great help to me too, you know, and great inspiration. And so
1: having those those rhymes and those lyrics in, oh, your, in your mind, in yeah. your imagination yeah. from such a young age. Yeah. So when did you, did you start writing? Because you've got that first book um, came out in in 1965, were you had you been writing poems when you were uh, like a young woman in high school age and you yeah. and, and you talked about like in, in, about Elizabeth Bishop being important oh. to you too as a woman mm-hmm. writer in amongst the many men who oh, were teachers yeah. But,
2: yeah absolutely well that seems to be two parts but I'll start with yes, a lot saying, of questions I, well it's good though uh, they're all one really I. I think I I really uh, started loving to write maybe around the age of 12, something like that. And I got a lot of encouragement from teachers along the way. When you were 12. Well, you know, just writing what I thought were poems, but, you know, (laughs) or wanted to think were poems. But I loved poetry and I read it and... um, got a lot of encouragement from school, so I really, really love the people who go into schools and teach. And I'd love them anyway, probably, but they really encouraged me, and um, college, I got a lot of really wonderful encouragement in college. And I think if I hadn't, probably I wouldn't have gone on, because it's such a, and in those days, this was the 50s, I graduated from college in 56. There weren't very many well known women poets that by me anyway well known you know there were probably more many more than I knew about, but to have someone like Marianne Moore or Miss Bishop going ahead of you really made a big difference because it was pretty much a man's world still in the poetry I knew, which was the white middle class poetry of that time and place and in America, very limited and in America, not to mention <laughs> God <laughs> almighty, and so. I knew very little, but what I knew was mostly white male uh, poetry, and to have the poetry of Miss Bishop, and which we called her then, and Miss Moore, <laughs> God, it made a difference, you know, to know that people had made a life of it, uh, and done both the life and done the work they did, you know, and that they had helped one another, you know, that Ms. Moore had brought Miss Bishop along as a youngster, and all that was very, it made me think it might be possible, you know. And that makes all the difference, doesn't all it? All the difference, doesn't it?
1: And so you yeah. kept going. So you were writing poems, mm-hmm. and...
2: I kept going, yeah. I got married after college and had two children and was writing away, and... Um, I'd send things out sort of fitfully, but nothing ever got taken. And this is in a much smaller poetry world uh, than it is now, I think. But I was certainly much more shy than most of the young people I meet now who are passionate about poetry. They're more active, I think, sending things out and seeing each other, knowing each other. I was kind of isolated. But anyway, I'd had a lot of encouragement, and I got the Yale thing at uh, the age of 30, yeah
1: so and how important was that having that because that was your
2: first book it was the first poem i ever had printed <laughs> that's wonderful yeah stephanie's also aghast
1: like myself <laughs> that's if wonderful. you ever get discouraged <laughs>
2: don't be discouraged uh, i think it's just all such a um such a chance you know and someone had told me oh you should try the yale poetry series, whatever it's called, Yale yeah, series of younger poets, and, and so did, but I I really didn't have a dream, because I'd never had a poem printed. And, and then I got a book. So
1: what happens? Did someone call you up and say, Jean Valentine, oh. we'd like to <laughs> award you this, and then...
2: That was in the days of letters, you know. I had my kids out in the park, and I came home. We came home, and I got this letter in the mailbox, and uh, it was a very, very formal, but sweet letter and saying, one of the things, this editor was Dudley Fitz, and he said, are you a recluse? I have never seen a poem of yours in print. (laughs) (laughs) Recluses unite. (laughs) Recluses unite. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a wonderful day, and he and I became great friends, and he, he became a mentor to me, very much so. In fact... I can't believe how much patience and time he put into that first book. Very, very kind man. And then that after that book
1: came out and you held it in your hands. Did that mean that the deal, the deal was sealed? You were going to you were going to keep on keeping on with these poems?
2: I'm not sure it was quite like that. Um I think I would have kept on anyway just for my well, who knows? You know, but... Well, c- uh, compose or
1: just something you have to do. It was very encouraging.
2: I think I would have had to do something or other, but it was very encouraging. And two things happened. I, I would love to say just very quickly, I didn't know a single poet in my life except the teacher that I had had. And uh, within, I'd say, a few months, Adrian Rich got in touch with me, who was not that much older, but much more established. Uh, and a very, as you know, very important uh, a citizen as well as a uh, poet, and great poet, I think. She, uh, she got in touch with me, and we talked on the phone some, and ultimately we met and became very close friends. But that was the first poet of my own, who wasn't a teacher, you know? I mean, You're officially a teacher. She certainly was a teacher, but who I hadn't met in school, you know, as a teacher, student relationship. And another poet in New York who I don't know if you'd if you'd know the work, but her name is her name was Jean Cooper. She was actually a neighbor of ours. And she encouraged me and we met and she d- gave me all kinds of help and ultimately a teaching job at Sarah Lawrence College where she was teaching and she got me a job there which I kept for the rest of my life actually. So that was two very important things that happened as a result of having a book in print. You know, I would never have known that those things could happen or anything like them, you know. Yes. We'll take a short break and then we'll come right back and talk more.
1: Today on the program, Jean Valentine is here. I'm T. Hutzel. You have living writers. We'll be right back.
0: country boy ain't got no shoes. country boy ain't got no blue well you work all day while you're wanting to play in the sun and the sand with the faces tan at the end of the day when your work is done you ain't got nothing but fun country boy ain't got no will country boy you don't own no Get a wiggly worm and then you watch him squirm While you put him in a hook and you drop him in a brook If everything's gonna turn out right You're gonna fry fish tonight Country boy Got a lot to lose Country boy I wish I was in your shoes a shaggy dog country boy up a holler low well it comes in the run when you pick up you got another with a shell or two and your dog and you when you get your ravages in his hide, he's gonna be good fried country boy you got a lot to lose, country boy i wish i was in your shoes
1: Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did. I'm T Hetzel. Today on Living Writers, Jean Valentine is here. Um, we've got Stephanie, the behind the glass, um, and and Jean. I really wish you could have heard Stephanie's poem that she read yesterday um, uh, for for fundraiser. It was just it was a beauty. Oh, I wish um, I could. But, but anyway, we won't keep won't keep going on. Maybe she showed to me. Afterwards. I, I we're gonna twist her arm. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, Jean, you also you picked um, Johnny Cash as our our musician for the day here. Today. To take us through the show, um why Johnny Cash?
2: Well, I just love him like i just uh I don't know i I don't know many very many new um, musicians, but he breaks my heart, I just love him, and you say that with the the biggest smile, well, yeah, you know how it is
1: <laughs> maybe also it's then you know that the broken heart is um is something that
2: others feel too, yeah, yeah. I I love him. I saw a movie about him. I love him. <laughs> I listen to him. I, I play him for my grandchildren. You know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I and then do you all sort of stomp around yeah. the room today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Gene, well, um, would you um <laughs> would you mind reading a poem for us?
2: Sure, would I'd I? be happy. Yeah, I could read one from Break the Glass, which is the last book I published. Unless you have, do you have something in mind? Well, well i'd love like um I'd, i actually would would you mind
1: uh, at some point reading it's so so very short so so please yeah. do read from
2: the but, but um th- this little poem here oh my goodness how interesting this is called bud and it's the name bud christmas night my father said jean you are so disloyal But Bud said, no, ethereal, ethereal, but my friend. And I, I got my prayer answered. I died with my life around me. I don't know if a reader could hear that, but that whole last three lines is Bud speaking. Um, So it's Bud who says, I died with my life around me. It's a sad one. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for Yeah, you look sad. It is a sad one. It's, it's interesting because I probably haven't even read that poem for years to myself or anything. You know, I forgot. I didn't forget it. But, you know, it's an interesting one for you to have chosen. Thank you. Thanks for reading it, Jean. I don't usually ever
1: ask people to read poems because I just, that's one of the things I'll always say. No, you just, but thank you for, thank you for mm, reading it.
2: I'm glad you did. I haven't seen that one for a while, thank you.
1: What's it, what is it like to, is it like, um, finding, like, this moment, does it, what happens when you come back to a poem where it's been years, perhaps, that you've even thought of, thought of it, or, or read it, or?
2: Yeah, this has been many years. I don't even remember what year that book was in, but, uh, River at Wolf, um, I don't place it, but you know, in my memories of a person or a situation, but I do write a certain amount from dreams and from dream-like states of mind. And this feels to me like it might have been one or the other or both. Uh, You know how when you have a dream, sometimes you might get something someone says, and then you might wake up and they might say something more in your sort of half-awake state. Or you might put it together a little bit with some thought of your own or something. I mean, it's all thoughts of your own, but you know what I mean. You might hook it up with something else you've been thinking about or something. That seems like that. this might have been one of those poems.
1: When you say that you, you sort of with the dream state, Mm -hmm. is it often when you're, you are literally sleeping and then you have maybe a yellow pad by your bed (laughs) and you, you do have, or is it something that you've been able to as a practice, um, like kind of the sitting down, um, and as you start
2: thinking, is that cause you're not, is that what you ask wonderful questions. That's really what's become of me as I've gone along, I used to start with actual dreams. In fact, I had a teacher in college who said to his little workshop of 14 of us or something, you could write from your dreams, you know, or something like that. <laughs> just sort of a Wonderful man, uh, Edwin Honig, and he, he changed my life by saying that because I began to write from my dreams. I'd always been in... Well, I had, at least at that time, gotten interested in dreams, and I just have... It was like giving me a whole uh, world to make notes from that I might not have thought of before without him. Because yeah. it was
1: already your world. Because yeah. it was yours, but maybe not seeing it for a fuel for the ideas exactly. or the writing.
2: I was very, very young in poetry, in my own poetry. I didn't know what I could do and what I couldn't. And now I think there's nothing you can't do. But then I didn't know that. You know, I was 20 or something i thought you there were things you could do and things you couldn't you know i was very young and uh, so that was very liberating and wonderful for him to say and i think i was writing literally from dreams more uh in the maybe middle i i don't know where i am now but anyway i i'd say i'd say this nowadays i'm writing more from dream-ish states than I am from actual dreams, you know. I still dream a lot, but I think I'm not actually taking them down as much now as being in that state a lot more, you know, and writing from that. I don't know if you and can pieces, see the difference, but no, yes, you know, yeah. I'm not and do maybe articulating p- it. You but, no,
1: no I, you yeah. I, um, are. Do you find that it's um, in sort of the more dream state that pieces... Come to you because um perhaps the lucy poems might be a, is that would that be an example of god knows
2: where she came from that was one long dream because i wrote that thing in about two days that was amazing and uh, is that in the new book that's coming out in may or is that in break the glass jean i think she's, in, she's in break the something? glass let me just yeah she is she's the last section in break the glass i think i got a lot of Lucy here, if you want to hear one. or Yes, would you uh, tell us the story? Sure. I'll tell you the story, yeah. I was, um, again, I've been so fortunate, I was at one of these writing places, and so I was all in the silence and wondering and happy, and it was summertime, and deer and turkeys were coming up to the uh, house that I was in, and, turkeys and wild turkeys and wild deer, and It was just wonderful for a New Yorker to be in such a place, you know, but I was reading the uh, Orpheus poems of Rilke, and I think that had something to do with it, because um, he's so powerful, and he gets under your skin, and I've read those poems a lot, so I was at home in them, sort of, and... um, I love that, at home in them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. I don't know German, but I was at home in in the translation, and... um, So what happened was I looked at this magazine article and there was this article about Lucy who's a hominid uh, between the the, uh, apes who were on all fours and the apes who stood up. She was one of the first ones who stood up. And I think she's called a hominid. And one of the things that meant, this article explained, was that the mothers, the the females would be able to hold their babies because they were walking on their hind legs, so to speak, and they had arms to hold their baby. And the whole story was sort of a miracle, how they found her and everything. But I think the mother uh, feeling that came to me from her was very strong, almost unbeknownst to me. Uh, okay. Um, and... So I just I could go on and on about this but what but, happened but, was I but just the mother feeling yeah, you were saying the mother feeling very strong and I welcomed that and what else was I going to do but you know it was very strong to me in my own uh life and so that was a time I don't remember quite how this conversation started but that was a time when I was the only time in my life, I think, where I got a long thing just absolutely dictated. I mean, I didn't have much to do with it, honestly. And I've never, never had anything like that happen. It's a fairly long thing. And um, I suppose that's how some poets are, you know. A lot of the time, I'm sure Rilke was, but for me that oh, was the first thing. Don't you think? Yeah, like those Orpheus poems just seem to have come directly... From God through real Cl- <laughs> to us, <laughs> you know, through His ear. <laughs> yes, but that, and then you're saying because you were in those poems. That's how yeah. this Lucy sequence came. I think to that you. helped a lot. Being in that, you know, Orpheus world of his is so inspiring. You know, and that did it. Was it for several days, Jean? A couple for of the days. Pr- so no, a ha- better day and a half, but including a night. You know, so and did you keep writing through the night? Yeah. Yeah. So you kept writing. Once I started, yeah. I, I did. I I love when things come, so I wouldn't consider anything else, you know, if it's coming to you. Would you? Just keep... <laughs> That's a good question.
1: I feel like I should say, no, of course not. But then I feel like life pulls on you.
2: It does pull on you. I was lucky because I, for one thing, um, I I didn't have any family around me. I didn't have a job. I was in this state of being uh, in an artist colony with nothing to it, do. Because that was really, you know, that was sort of your, <laughs> your, your job to do. Or it was so my funny. job and my family <laughs> and everything. It was everything. I just didn't have anything to do but sit there and write, write things down. So it was the right moment to keep,
1: keep listening. Perfect moment. I hope you were that, eating. I oh, hope yeah. you were e-
2: <laughs> okay. Don't worry about me eating. <laughs> but it was interesting. I got almost alarmed by it because uh I'd never had anything this long come to me. And what would be the alarm? I suppose sometimes happiness can be alarming, you know? Which sounds strange to say. <laughs> Very strange to say, but I I went up and called a friend on the phone and read her some of it. I said, I don't know what's going on with me, but this thing keeps coming. And she said, I think there's more. Go back and write the rest of it. She said, just don't operate any heavy machinery. (laughs) (laughs) Good counsel, good counsel. counsel. (laughs) Johnny would like that, right? Johnny Cash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or he might even be like, just give it a go. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? On that note, let's hear a little more Johnny. We'll, We'll take a short break. Today on Living Writers, Jean Valentine is here. We've got her book, Break the Glass, out with Copper Canyon Press on the table with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now I taught the weeping willow how to cry And I showed the clouds how to cover up a clear blue sky And the tears that I cried for that woman are gonna flood you big river I'm gonna sit right here until I die I met her accidentally in St. Paul, Minnesota And it tore me up every time I heard her draw Southern draw. Then I heard my dream went back downstream Cobortin and Davenport And I followed you, Big River, when you called Oh, guitar, guitar. St. Louis later on down the river A freighter said she's been here But she's gone, boy, she's gone I found her trail in Memphis But she just walked up the bluff She raised a few eyebrows And then she went on down alone Now won't you bat it down by Baton Rouge River Queen rolling on Take that woman on down to New Orleans New Orleans Go on, I've had enough. Dump my blues down in a She loves you, Big River, more than me. Oh.
1: Welcome back, You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Jean Valentine is here playing some Johnny Cash, <laughs> thanks to Stephanie, <laughs> making the choices. Jean said, let's listen to some Johnny. And then we were all just like, that's entirely the right thing to do.
2: <laughs> <Isn't
1: it? laughs> Jean, so we we were talking um, about Lucy before the break, the poem. and um, And then during the break, you were telling me a little bit about how it was this experience that felt so unusual and i was wondering would you mind saying a bit more about it and maybe you could even read part of lucy for us too sure
2: i could it was unlike any experience i've had before or since and one of the <clears throat> one of the interesting things that happened too was that i had seen a um untaught painter i think there's better words for them but um I'd seen his work, and he came into the poem and um it's just he was as unbidden as Lucy was. I'm just uh fiddling here to get his name and', and uh, you, cause outsider art martin Ramirez I don't know if you know his work. He came into the poem, just walked in, you know it, it was just like <laughs> I can't describe it if you were describing it uh. You might say you were sitting in the audience and a play was going on or something, and you just took it down because that's what you did. You know, you just wrote it down. And <clears throat> she came and then he came. And what they have to do with one another, I'm still not sure. But you trust your subconscious. I do totally, yeah. I have nothing else to trust, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I do, right? <laughs> and Stephanie knows what I mean. <laughs> We're laughing here in the, in, the, uh, in the radio room, but actually it is what I have to trust when I'm writing, and probably in life, you know, the intuition. Um, I think it's what we have for the kind of poetry I write. It isn't everybody, but, you know, for me it is. And and maybe I say as a way of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, intuition. I don't really figure things out very well, as you could see when <laughs> you came to meet me at the hotel. But that wasn't no. I'm not, good, a, no, I'm don't, not don't. good at finding uh, things in the practical world. But I do think that as a consequence, or as a as a gift, I've been uh, given some intuition.
1: Oh, I love that. Jean, will you read some of Lucy so that we can hear this this gift that you said sort of just came and you wrote it down? Yeah. And that's not the, that's an extraordinary thing. It is a gift. Uh, and, and you, here, also, you uh, said you wouldn't, you also weren't thinking of the, the future, like what was going to happen with it as you were writing it oh. down.
2: And, you know, I, I almost never do anyway, but in this case you couldn't. You know, you were just you were just sort of like hypnotized or something. You know, it's just happening. This is how it began. Uh, Lucy, your secret book that you leaned over and wrote just in the dirt, not having to have an ending, not having to last. Just what you just said, actually. Not having to have an ending, not having to last. That's exactly how it felt. Um there's a quotation two hands were, this isn't a quotation this is the next poem that came along two hands were all you owned for food, for love now you own excuse me now you own none, Lucy Nor no words only breath marks breath marks only nor no words, or what do you do now, Lucy, for love, your eyes? I honestly don't have anything but respect for this because it's as if someone well someone else did write it, I think you know uh it's not it's wonderful how you can get outside your own self sometimes, isn't it, when you're writing, or probably any art, um, or maybe many other experiences besides art, you know? Um, I'd like to read you one about Martine, who is this outsider artist who came into it. Um, Uh, Whoops. Sorry. Oh, that's
1: okay. So here. Here here we go. Thank you. (laughs) That one's a tricky
2: one. <laughs> I'll just say I'd like to say something about yes. Martin oh, Ramirez, this outsider artist who came into it. Um he uh he felt I think uh, this is getting conscious about it, but he felt like a a sort of um if if I'm um Thinking of uh, who these people might be to me, she felt like a complete uh, other, but like a muse, sort of, uh, in the in the sense of she uh, literally muse. She told me what to write. He came along, sort of as a friendly uh, fellow traveler on the surface of the world, not used in any other sense, but a, a, a fellow comrade, sort of a comrade. This morning I miss most of all you, Martine, and her, now this is getting off into imagining his mother, this morning I miss most of you, most of all you, Martine, and her who when you were born looked and blessed your beauty. Lucy, when you are with me, I feel the atoms racing everywhere in this old oak table, in the eight-pointed, double star spider, and in the starry rippling all around us. Skeleton woman, guardian, death woman, Lucy, here a picnic, cornbread, here an orange, with Martine and me at the lip of the earth's surface world. That's the last one of... Of that sequence, I think. Yeah. Of the Lucy sequence. Yeah. Yeah. (gasps) So they sort of draw together and we're all together at the
1: end, you know. How and how were you able to, like, did you know it was the end?
2: I didn't really know. I waited and saw, but nothing else came. I would still love something else to come, but, you know, you can't do anything about that. (laughs)
1: because and it might not be Lucy next time.
2: I know. I know.
1: So what what did come, Jean? Because you you have this new collection coming out.
2: Shirt of heaven? Shirt in heaven. Shirt yeah. in heaven. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what what was what was happening since we left off then with Lucy?
2: How you know, I'm afraid I didn't bring anything of the new book with me. Um, I brought some new poems, but they would be the book after that. Um, I suppose I'm going to give a reading today later, and I'd read some of the uh, ones from the coming book, uh, Shirt in Heaven. But I don't suppose you could paste those onto this interview, could you? Uh, I don't seem to have anything from what would you like to next read? Book? Jean?
1: That's okay. <laughs> I don't know why I was being. No, but that's that's very interesting. Because well, I love um, this idea that there was some this thing that happened and then it sort of became the end of the book even though you were still writing poems, you know,
2: all yeah, around it that's probably. really right. this did be, did it become the end of the book? Yeah, I think it did. It became the end of this book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, partly I think Honestly, for me anyway, it gets to be the end of the book when you have enough pages. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like that. I like, it's, it's very practical. I like that because people are like, "Oh, this is this feels like this is in this book," and I'm like, "How many books do you have?" <laughs>
2: uh, God, it's it's to me much more kind of. Can I send it off to Michael yet? <laughs> yeah, you know? and
1: isn't he lovely? Oh yeah, Michael Beeger, absolutely it, lovely. It, it, it,
2: yeah. And,
1: and Joseph, and, and all the oh, guys, I and know. all the, the gang at Copper Canyon You Press. know them all, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're wonderful. Um, so I guess um, I could read you some that I think are from what will happen next. Would you, maybe one more poem? Or... That would be great. Yeah. This is one I'm very fond of. Uh, it's called Notes from a Lecture by Sir Roger Penrose, and... This isn't quite Lucy, but I turned the radio on one day, and I don't know if you ever do this. There was this uh, wonderful British voice, and he was lecturing about the Big Bang and things like that that I kn- knew nothing about, and I was, but I was transfixed. It was kind of like Lucy, who I also knew nothing about, <laughs> except this is available, but, you know, I didn't know. Anyway, I'll read it. Uh, these were just things he said that I wrote down. Before the Big Bang came the remote future, out of the heaviness, turning, then opening, spreading like fast water, open, crossover. It's hard to talk about what you know. Sir Roger is projecting transparencies. His hand-drawn diagrams look like breasts and fields of tipping hourglasses, Before us came the remote future, a succession of eons. But you don't have to worry about that. The join is perfectly smooth. It doesn't look smooth from this angle, but it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little wonderful, isn't it? is a great (laughs) one. The thing is, some of that came from, I guess it's the uh, computer, a friend of mine, got him on the computer for me after that so that I could see him lecturing. And he's the kind of, some of this stuff he never said, but I made it up. But <laughs> <laughs> he did say before the Big Bang came the remote future, that, which absolutely blew me away. Yes,
1: <laughs> isn't yes. that wonderful? The remote Yeah, after the beginning of the remote future.
2: <laughs> so he swim he, around he did in that say for a while. swim around in that for a while. <laughs> and he did have these transparencies and But some of the stuff I put in, and I hope he won't mind if he ever saw it, but I don't think he will. Anyway, he's the most... You just fall in love with him when you see him teaching. He's lecturing to a huge audience of physicists, and he's he's as kind as if he was teaching little children. And he says things like, um, before us came the remote future, a succession of eons... Then he'll say, look at the audience and say, but you don't have to worry about that. The join is perfectly smooth. It doesn't look smooth from this angle, but it is, you know. It's like he's talking to a child and saying, it's going to be all right. You know, he's just... I guess we all have to hear that. We do. And especially, sense. I think, in his field, you know, but maybe in all fields. It's just, he's a very, very kindly teacher. And I was very lucky to find his voice on the radio and... Takes one to know one, Jean Valentine. Wow. <laughs> you're
1: very you're very good. But <laughs> let's, let's take a short break and then we'll be right back for more today, more conversation with Jean Valentine. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back.
0: Like a bird On a wire Like a drunk In a midnight choir I have tried In my way To be free Like a fish On a hook Like a knight in some old-fashioned book I have saved all my ribbons for thee And if I, if I have been unkind I just hope you will let it go by And if I, if I have been untrue
1: You've Got Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel today, Jean Valentine is here wow that that johnny cash song that was it's always hard to start turning down the volume on johnny I know. <laughs> you know that song thanks for picking that one stephanie that was and it was all thanks to eugene for
2: suggest you <laughs> but, just said it like you just were like johnny cash <laughs> well, we, we all seem to like the idea <laughs> and who wouldn't so so um, you you were saying you just were you were just in Marfa. I was. I was in Marfa, Texas and again with I've been very lucky in my life. I, I was again with a stretch of time to do nothing but write, read, walk, do whatever I wanted. And this poem came to me quite early on. I was sitting in front of a beautiful photograph of uh the work of a resistor, an artist resistor named Fernando Traverso in Rosario, Argentina. And um, during the terrible times, the dirty war there, he began to put, uh, he began to stencil bicycles, uh, make stencils of bicycles on the walls, like graffiti. And another thing um, that he did was make, the bicycles were, were, what the resistors were riding around. That was their symbol of themselves, and it was also, I mean, it was what they had, but it was also, uh, it became a symbol of the resistors, and it became a symbol with uh, Fernando Traverso for the disappeared, and for the people as well. It became, every time you saw a bicycle or every time you saw one of his uh, uh, stenciled bicycles, they became symbols of someone who was gone. And this photograph was right in front of my desk. It was like a window that you look out of, except I was looking into it and it just spoke spoke to me is the expression I guess. It it was wonderful to be looking at it all the time. And so I wrote this some of these words ni uno ni otro nosotros are words that were written on the wall. Then there was a heart written in black, you know black paint on a white wall and rubbed out. And or half rubbed out. Then there was one of his stencils of a bike, a black bike, on the wall. And then there was a date, <coughs> thirteen eight ninety three. Laurie Te Amo. So Laurie, I took to be a name. And those first six lines are all from what I was looking at. And then I went on with it. But it's uh, called after Fernando Traverso. And in my heart it's after everyone in that time and in all times for that matter who gets uh, yes. to, uh, gets disappeared. After Fernando Traverso I mean, I don't mean to say he's disappeared by the way. He's fine. He's, he's going on in his work. Uh, but for the people he speaks for. After Fernando Traverso Ni uno, ni otro, nos otros. The rubbed heart, the black bicycle, stenciled on the wall. Thirteen, eight, ninety-three. Lori, te amo. The awkward leaning phone poles, old men and women resting back against the sky in blue chairs. Some sort of opening, like the dream last night, with you still living. Uh Did you make the dream opening, or who? I will carry you, your happiness. I am coming, to who I don't know. Te amo, this happiness, old life, I'm glad. All my rubbed life, I was found. I was written on a wall in air. Thank you, Jean.
1: That's, you just wrote that one.
2: Yeah. Or he did. Somebody did. <laughs> it was <a> you. <laughs> that's, that's a beauty. You know how it is as a poet, you see something or something comes to you and you really feel it's not your own at all, but you just happen to be at the right moment, at the right time, at the right place, and, and it You know, you get blessed. And it
1: seems like there was that that stenciled bicycle with the, um,
2: and that you connected it to the dream as well, and this opening. That was interesting. I had one of those dreams when I, it it all happens, you know, if you're there. I, I had a dream the first night I was in Marfa about some people who I love and It was one of those dreams when you wake up, you go on dreaming, you know, you're sort of still in it, and they're wonderful people. And I wrote them, and I said, uh, I just, I thank you for being in my dream, and I told them about how happy it was and everything like that. Because keeping company a bit. Yeah, and what was interesting was I had completely forgotten that they themselves had been to Marfa one time. I'd completely forgotten, and it was my first night in Marfa. But yeah. I think maybe they came to say hello or something to bless me. <laughs>
1: and your time there. Yeah, exactly. And oh,
2: welcome to Marfa.
1: <laughs> and that's the subconscious, isn't yeah. it? Because we might yeah. not be aware, but we're absorbing. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: Oh, and I guess we are. Yeah. It's we keep it, even though maybe it is passing through us as well. But oh, we do,
2: we do, yeah. It can keeps be us. It keeps us.
1: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and Jean, so have you, did you, because you speak about these times where you go to a certain place, like Marfa, mm-hmm. and um, when I was reading poems from Door in the Mountain last night, um, I was reminded that you were in Ireland. I was, yeah. As well. Mm-hmm. It's, and that felt like, was that over a span of time? Because it felt like Ireland
2: returned a bit and yeah. in, in, in between years. books mm-hmm. or so. I was there seven years. I came back and taught one semester each year, but I was living with a man over there, and so my, basically my life was over there for seven years. Yeah.
1: Was it centered in Dublin or where? No, out
2: it? in the west. Oh, out in the west. Yeah, yeah, near oh. Sligo. Near oh. Sligo town. Oh. Yeah, do you know the country? I, well, I've been to uh, uh, County
1: Clare. Oh, and, uh, that's a beautiful county. But, uh, oh. uh, it is beautiful out west yeah. there, isn't it's it? it's beautiful out there. And remote the cliffs and yeah. the
2: Atlantic and, yeah yeah and been and, and all that yeah
1: <laughs> and what's swimming underneath right <laughs> the cold waves did you good for you uh, yeah. oh no I didn't it was oh. I think a bit too cold <laughs> oh it's very cold yeah <laughs> oh. not as cold as Michigan but that's everywhere. true <laughs> But so Ireland was also this this (coughs) time and, um, but these, it feels like Ireland's also a place of visions, but it seems to me, Jean, you have, you've managed to cultivate a spirit that welcomes the vision no matter where you are. I hope so. (laughs) Knockwood. Yes.
2: What's your, what, what are some of your, what's your most recent vision? Well, I suppose this fellow, Fernando. Traverso that I just read the poem not that that's a vision it's just something that it does remind me a bit of Lucy though, it came to me, I was looking at it and feeling my feelings, reading about his activities and admiring him and so forth, but then you go to a different place sort of, you know it's not his daily life or even his amazing miracle of a life, but you get drawn into a poem somehow I don't know how to explain it you know, it just is, yeah. Somehow, if you're lucky.
1: Well, and yeah. if and if you sort of are making the space.
2: I think we have to make or the, the quiet. space. Yeah, the quiet. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Do you get a chance to do that very often? Well, let's not talk about that, Gene. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not on the air. Huh? <laughs> not on the air. No. But but I think. <laughs>
1: I love your laugh, too. That would say, um, <laughs> but, it well, this idea of silence, and you live in New York City, mm. so it might not be the most, I, I mean, it's something then that you also sort of make
2: and inhabit, even if the rest of the world isn't silent? I don't think it has much to do with the <laughs> actual sound around you. I I mean, it, it would if you were, not would if you were in prison or someplace, the actual sounds around you could be killing, but... Oh. Um, if it's New York or Marfa, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. It's uh, a different kind of silence. Know, I think so, yeah. I think you could be sitting on a subway. If you feel safe in the subway and it's not too uh, wild, you could probably go into your own thoughts pretty well if they come to you. Yeah, I think it's more of an inner thing. You know, If you're, if you're, if you're not afraid of what might come, yeah, what about
1: that? Because you say, you've said in the past, I write from things I don't understand. Yeah, Isn't that the joy?
2: Yes, but it's a big thing to say too, isn't it? I When I say, isn't that the joy, something like the artist Traverso is not joy. It's terrible suffering, yes, but I think the joy that I intended was when I said that was the joy to share it in any possible inkling that you can, you know, to have any inkling of what it's like to be another human being or an animal or anything that empathy, yes,
1: and so that and so it, that makes me think of what you said earlier, Jean, about the um where you're almost coming out of the self when you're writing these poems. And so I was thinking, if you're out of the self,
2: uh, you're in the universe in some way. Well, I think we are all. (laughs) I guess we are, right? Here we are. No, but I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. Maybe more consciously we are in the universe and not in our own clothes and our own house and all that. Not paying the rent or finding the radio station or whatever it is. You know, you're you're sort of free and it feels, I think it feels good whether you're uncovering tragedy or joy. I think it feels good because I think you're free uh, to be open, you know, even if it's for five minutes.
1: Thank you, Jean Valentine, for talking with me today. Thank you so much, T. I've so loved it. Talk with you again. Love that. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone, (coughs) to Living Writers. Until next time.
2: Both young and old, sit and gaze at the radio
0: dial, my friend. It's gone to love you.
2: Oh, yeah,
0: you'd best be.
1: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor.
0: This is the daily sports the daily sports report. Uh, I'm your host for the day, CJ Stone, and on the other side of the glass, we have Kevin Klein and Emily Harrod. Uh, guys, it is the middle of the NBA playoff season, and well, not really the middle, but the beginning of the first, the middle of the first round, as a couple games
1: have have gotten past Game Two, and we are waiting on a couple of Game Two games tonight.